You are watching Christ's Commission Fellowship. Changing lives for eternity. We are, by popular demand, uh, going through still our Minefield series. The Minefield series is subtitled, Issues That Endanger Our Families. We place an extremely high premium on families here in CCF. And we believe that as individuals, we are inevitably part of some family. And we need to guard our lives against things that the enemy has placed uh, in stealth and deception that are designed to destroy our lives and to, um, I guess, draw us away from God's perfect plan for the single and solitary life that He has created in and for you and me. And these, my, this minefield, of course, is composed of landmines, and we've gone through many of them over the last several weeks. For example, some of these have had more than two Sunday messages behind them, uh, wrong relationships, bad choices, excusitis, which is making excuses. And yes, there is such an English word in the dictionary as excusitis, immorality, addictions. And then here we moved into what sounds like biological warfare, because they sound like diseases, right? Immediateitis, which means immediate gratification, the desire for immediate gratification. Quititis, which means a lack of endurance, uh, just giving up too soon, too easily. Identitis, or identity crisis. And then entitleitis, which means having an entitlement mentality. So these are the things that we have discussed for the last many weeks. We will continue with the Minefield series pretty much for the rest of September. Have you been blessed by this series? I, I have certainly uh, found certain things unearthed. And you know, that's what you do with a landmine. You unearth it and you diffuse it. And all of these landmines are diffused by principles, eternal, everlasting, unassailable principles of the Word of God. So as we move into our landmine for today, will you join me in a word of prayer, please? Our Father and our God, we lift to you one another, the people beside us, the people uh, on the other side of this camera. We pray, Lord, that um, you will just fill us with your spirit and speak to each one of us according to our situation right now. And in obedience to your word and with deep concern and love, we do unite our hearts in prayer for this nation. We pray for our president that your spirit will guide him towards decisions that will be God-honoring and will be a blessing to this country and will be in line with your desire for him to be a true servant of this nation as you have called him and appointed him to be. We pray for the rest of our government that indeed your principles will prevail and for those who um, incorrigibly insist on following their own selfish agenda, we pray that you will surface them and that you will depose them because you are the God who sets up kings as well as deposes them. And we pray for your people now. You know our situations, our struggles. You know um, who is walking in pride and needs to be humbled. You know who are humbled and need to be uplifted. Lord, we pray uh, you know whose lives are empty and who need to be filled. And so we come before you, Lord, a needy people whose lives are empty and senseless and purposeless without you. Will you speak into our lives, into our hearts, that we may live according to the richness and the fullness of your grace in each one. This we humbly bring to you as our petition in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all of the people said, Amen and Amen. Do you realize that there are certain things that 
Some people have invented, which if you really think about them, may not serve any real purpose in life. For example, uh, for the ladies, it has been raining on and off the last few weeks, right? So sometimes you wonder, oh, what about my shoes? Well, somebody invented shoe umbrellas. Type nyo. Um, maybe the stripes don't go well with your outfit. I heard they come in different colors. Yeah. Um, another example, how many of you have an aquarium at home? You have a fish for a pet? Anyone have fish for a pet? Okay, so we have a few. Have you ever taken your fish for a walk? Sir, have you ever taken your fish for a walk? Probably not. Okay, because now they invented a fish walker. Amazing. See how the fish is enjoying his walk? Useful? No, probably not. How many of you use a tablet, an iPad or some other kind of tablet? You do your work, you communicate. Okay, I assume a lot more than those of you who had fish. Uh, how many of you still use a typewriter and are going to admit it? Do, typewriter. Do you know what a typewriter is? Yes, okay. Well, there's no longer any argument be between which is better, a typewriter or a tablet, because you can now use them together. Somebody invented the iTypewriter. You slide the tablet, and then you press the letter, and it types it in your tablet. Really useful, right? Now, here, here's something which I, I could not believe somebody actually invented this. It is a DVD rewinder. Now, if you can't figure out why you do not need a DVD rewinder, you'll have to watch the video of this message all over again. Or you need special prayer. But no, really, I mean, what for? Okay. Um, those of you who like to multitask, somebody invented a steering wheel laptop desk. But you cannot use this in the Philippines. You know why? Because there is the anti-distracted driving law. Okay? So you have to have heavily tinted glass if you want to get away with this. Now, finally, uh, how many of you are into health? You know, like good diet, exercise. How many? How many? Okay. Uh, not many. You're waiting for the next prayer and fasting. Is that it? Okay. Well, here's something you may want to try. Diet water. Make sense to you? Probably not. So we scratch our heads and we wonder, what? is the purpose of these things. Why do they even exist? But here's the real serious question. Do I have a purpose in this world? And you know, when we come to this question, everybody keeps quiet. Because then you really need to think. Because either one of two things is true. Either you say, you know, come to think of it, I'm not sure what my purpose is. Or I feel like I don't have one. Or you might say, no, I do have a purpose. Are you sure it's God's best purpose for your life you're pursuing? Well, folks, the landmine for today, it's kind of a long word. It's purposelessness. Purposelessness. And you might say, I don't have a problem with that. I, I really think that what I get up in the morning to do is my purpose in life. Well, congratulations, but let's keep our mind, ears, and heart open to what the Lord has to say because the diffusing of this landmine is following Jesus. If you have any doubt about your purpose in life, the best way to resolve that, the only way to really discover 
what our purpose in life is, is by following Jesus. You may not see the connection right away. I pray the Lord will make it clear to you. Now, in the meantime, let's get ourselves on the same page. What do we mean when we say purposelessness? Obviously, it means the lack of or the absence of purpose in life. But let me expand its definition this way. Purposelessness is a spiritual condition which makes people think that their purpose in life is no better than their current daily existence. In other words, you just assume whatever you get up in the morning to do, lead your company, practice your profession, go to your school, whatever it is, that is my purpose in life. I'm not saying that's wrong, but just a minute. This may be the result of ignorance, meaning to say you don't have a clue that God has something better planned for you. It could be the result of ignorance, but also of past failures or regrets. Do you have past failures in your life? I don't think I'm alone in this room when I say, yes, I do. And sometimes these regrets and these failures, these mistakes we've made, they rob us of the ability and the joy to have a vision and a purpose in life because we've failed and perhaps failed miserably or many times over, we assume maybe there is no purpose. I might as well just exist and not live. And maybe happily I won't even know the difference. But here's the bottom line. Whatever our situation in life, the biggest loss resulting from purposelessness is missing out on God's best plan for your life. That is really the problem. Because regardless of what it is we think we're doing and why we're doing it, if it is not God's best plan, then we are missing out big time. People in accounting and finance call this opportunity cost or opportunity loss. Not being able to experience and enjoy that which could have been. Now, I think we're all in this, on the same page in this room. How many lives do you and I have? We only have one. We have one chance to get this right. And I strongly urge you, you don't want to miss out on God's best plan for you. Now, let me just relate this to the message last Sunday when Pastor Peter talked about Saul who became Paul and who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember, there were two questions that were asked in that encounter. Two most important questions in life. Do you remember the first one? Yes, what was it? Who are you, Lord? All right. Who are you, Lord? Now, you and I can intellectually agree. We can say, by the way, what was the answer to this question? Remember, Saul asked, who are you, Lord? What was the answer? I am. I am Jesus, right? Okay, so intellectually, you and I can agree. Jesus, yeah, okay, he's Lord. It says that in the Bible, he's Lord. He's the creator, sustainer of all things, etc. And that's correct. But the question is, what does that mean to you and to me individually, personally? How does it impact our lives? Does it have any impact whatsoever? The only time we can determine the impact in our lives is when we ask the second question. What do you want me to do? And by implication, when we ask that question, we should be ready for whatever answer comes back. Because only when Jesus is our personal Lord, when he is the master and king of our lives, 
can we honestly ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember what the answer was? I want you to be my witness. You are my Lord Jesus. What do you want me to do? Among many other things, when you encapsulate everything that Jesus wants us to do in this life, this single, solitary life of undetermined length, how do you want me to live for you every day? Jesus will say, I want you to be my witness. So folks, the message today, the way to diffuse the landmine once and for all of purposelessness or any trace of it in your life and mine, the only way to overcome that is this, to find your purpose, follow Jesus. Can we say that together? To find your purpose, follow Jesus. Tell the sleepy person next to you, to, to find your purpose, follow Jesus. And, you know, there are many things about following Jesus. He left us with a uh, rather voluminous collection of principles and promises and commands and encouragements to follow. So what does it mean? It's such a big phrase, follow Jesus. What does that mean? Well, today we will look at a pattern, a pattern of Jesus' life that He left for you and me to follow. The pattern of Jesus' life we can see actually in many parts of the Bible, but particularly in this story that takes, takes place on the shores of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, as the Romans would call it. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to His disciples after He resurrected, and He displayed a pattern for them and for you and for me to follow after. The summary of the pattern He left is this. Even in John chapter 21, which is what we will take up, Jesus clearly would seek those who need Him. Then He would show them His amazing love. And then He would send them on a mission. We will see that very, very clearly as the story unfolds. Now my question as early as now is, what mission is that? Notice this is a cycle. When Jesus sends His people on a mission, that mission is to seek those who need Jesus. And when we find them, we show them His amazing love. And then we send them on a mission. To do what? To seek people who need Jesus. To show them His amazing love. And to send them on a mission. Now do you see what we mean when we say, make Christ-committed followers who will make Christ-committed followers? Folks, are we on the same page so far? All right, so let's talk about the first one. Jesus seeks those who need Him. Remember, we're talking about a pattern that we need to follow after that was exemplified by Jesus. Okay, John 21. After these things, Jesus manifested Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee for the Romans. And He manifested Himself in this way. Notice, always Jesus takes the initiative. He is always the initiator. He seeks out people who need Him. And yes, we're talking about Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. Yes, I know we're talking about people who already acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. But trust me, these people needed Him. 
probably more than any other time in their life. And we will see later on why that is so. But in the meantime, Jesus clearly takes the initiative to seek people who need him. And this story is not just about Simon Peter and all the gang. This story is just as much about you and me. And we will see why as we go on. So Simon Peter said to them, the barcada, he says to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught what? Zero, nothing, nada, wala, alaus, nothing. And figuratively speaking, I mean, you, you imagine what went on in the lives of the disciples not too far back in the past. You know, they were there with Jesus and, you know, they were having their supper and Jesus was telling them finally after several other times about what was going to happen to him. They say, no, Lord, we will be with you. And then he said, no, all of you will fall away. And Peter said, even if the others fall away, I will go with you even to the death. And he said, no, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, eventually it unfolded. Jesus betrayed him. They all abandoned him. And Peter denied him indeed three times and called down curses upon himself. So in the same way that this was nighttime, which was normally the time people go fishing, but spiritually, Emotionally, this was a very dark time in the lives of the disciples. There was darkness in their heart, in their mind. What, of what use am I now? You see, they already had seen the risen Lord in, on previous occasions. They knew that He had fulfilled His promise to come back to life in three days. And now maybe they're thinking, oh no, the boss is back like He said He would be. Of what use am I now after what I did to Him? And so perhaps in their mind, let's just go back to what the only thing we know what to do before he found us. Let's go fishing. Peter says, that's what I'm going to do. Everybody else says, okay, what better thing to do with our life except just go back to do what we used to do. And in the darkness of that night, it says, they caught nothing. And as empty as their nets were, that's how empty their lives must have been. Now, folks, can I ask you, how do you think they felt? Guilty, ashamed, confused. As they looked at the future, it was like a blank screen, nothing. What is my purpose in life now? Can you identify? Can you imagine what they must have been feeling? You know, this phrase, gone fishing, is an idiomatic expression, a modern idi idiom which means you don't know what's going on or you want to just get away from the problems of life. And I think pretty much that's what Peter and the gang wanted to do. We cannot take this, this guilt and this shame, so let's just go fishing. Now, have you made mistakes in your life? Have you tried to go fishing? Not literally, I mean like, ayoko na. I'll just live day to day. I have no vision for myself. I'm not really sure what God wants me to do. I'm not even sure if God wants me, period. Perhaps you're here today and that's what you're thinking. You may have no use in God's kingdom, so you might as well build your own, no matter how small that kingdom may be. Folks, we have regrets and we have mistakes. Some of them we made before we came to know Jesus. Some we made after. 
I remember about 10 years ago, I was not yet in full-time ministry. I was a volunteer pastor in CCF. We had problems in our family. And while they didn't involve me directly, but it was a problem and it was our family and I'm the head of our family, I had to, I had to assume responsibility to the point where I said, I cannot go on in ministry this way. And I told Pastor Peter and the leadership, I need to step down, which I did. And when I did that, I had no clue what God's plan for me was. And in, in many ways, I felt like Peter and the disciples. What good am I now to the kingdom of God? Maybe I'll just live in obscurity for the rest of my life. A little ministry here, a little bit there. That's all. But folks, if you're here today and you're feeling broken and you're feeling purposeless or useless or confused, I want you to know God can do amazing things with people like you and me. He has a wonderful plan. You don't have a clue. You may think you're at the lowest point in your life, and perhaps indeed you are. But many times I've discovered from my own experience, the lowest point in our life is the best, way, the best place we can be if we want to discover how much Jesus loves you and how much He wants to use you for His kingdom, for His glory. So folks, don't fret. Don't worry. If you're down there, if your net is empty and your life is dark, don't worry. There's a reason why you're here today. And Jesus wants to say something to you. Don't go fishing. Let's do something better. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. What a contrast. It was nighttime, their nets were empty. Now Jesus shows up, and it says the day begins to break. But you know, many times in our sadness or confusion or stubbornness, Many times we don't realize that Jesus is there. We think maybe He's ignored us, forgotten us, He's not interested in our lives. Folks, can I tell you something? What we think about Jesus doesn't change who He is. And if we think that He's ignoring us, or He doesn't know what's happening in our lives, or if we think He's not sovereign, it doesn't change the fact that He is sovereign. It doesn't change the fact that He is the initiator. It doesn't change the fact that He loves you beyond anything you and I could ever imagine. And yes, He's there in the darkness and in the emptiness of our nets. He's exactly where we need Him to be. And finally, in the case of the disciples, they hear His voice. They may not know it was Him, but in their desperation, they said perhaps to themselves, hey, why not? Why not? Let's take a step of faith. And so they cast the net on the right-hand side and their nets go from empty to full. And folks, when we finally catch the voice of Jesus and we finally take a step of faith to move in His direction for our lives, we begin to experience the abundant life. I'm not talking about money. There's nothing wrong with money, though. I'm talking about the fullness of Jesus in your life and mine. Realizing that, yes, we were created not just to exist on this earth, but to live according to God's plan for our life.
I was having a conversation with our eight-year-old grandson a few days ago, and over the breakfast table, he said to me, um, I think the people in this world, he was speaking in Tagalog, he said, I think the people in this world who have very little money, he said, I think every day they're like this on their table. So he was doing this. But I think the people who have lots of money, they don't ever do that. And I said in that teaching moment to our eight-year-old grandson, I said, I want you to know that money is not the secret to being happy. And I said to him, do you, know, do you realize there are so many people in this world, they have more money than they can figure out what to do with it, and yet almost every day they're like this. And yet there are people who have far less in life, and yet they don't do that. Why? Because they've learned to give thanks. They've learned to acknowledge that every daily blessing is from God. And most of all, they're living according to God's purpose for their life. So folks, can I ask you, how is your net today? How is your net? Is it empty? If your net is empty today, come and let Jesus fill it for you. You will never regret following Jesus because it will unveil his purpose for your life. So let's continue with the story. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Hui, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Folks, when you and I are running on empty in life, when we've made mistakes, when we've blown it, when we have regrets, we have only two options. One is we run away from Jesus, or second is we run towards Him. Which one do you think is the better option? Run towards Him. But you know, many times we know that in the head, but we don't do it either because we're making tampo against Jesus, or maybe we're just so taken over by shame and disgrace and regret that we feel we have no business coming to Jesus. But folks, let's take the example of Peter, who ran, well, he didn't run, he swam towards Jesus when he realized it was the Lord who was orchestrating things in their midst, even when they didn't recognize him. I want to tell you a story about this man. He's younger than I am. He's no longer a young man, but certainly younger than I am. I met him many, many years ago. And as I look back at his life, I see an amazing parallel, because his life had become really empty, and he had run away from God. Many years ago, he went in his 20s, he left to go to the U.S. to pursue well, greener pastures and, and um, prestige and all of this, this by his own admission. Although what he actually ended up doing there was ministry. But against his own better judgment and I guess maybe a godly advice and so forth, he left his wife and young children behind. So he went to the U.S. by himself. And while he was there, not long after he had arrived and started doing his thing, something terrible happened to his family back home. 
his two young children were molested by a relative. And so when he learned about the tragic news, he, he was so stricken by guilt and pain, he could not imagine. You know, in his mind, perhaps he was saying, Lord, why did this happen? I came here, you know, for good reasons, etc., etc. And then he, at the same time, he was beset by guilt. He said, I should have been home for my family. I shouldn't be here. I should have been there to protect them. Otherwise, this thing would, should never have happened, and so on and so forth. He flies back to the Philippines. He's reunited with his family, and he just, he just cannot stand what happened. He couldn't live with himself. Eventually, it pushed him to become a, a shabu addict for several years. So he was on empty. His net was absolutely empty. His life was zero purpose. One day, he took a pistol that was given to him. He knew at that moment the gun had two bullets. And so he knew that one bullet was already in the chamber. And so he put the gun to his temple and he pulled the trigger. The gun did not fire. And so he pointed the gun to the floor and he pulled the trigger again. Later on, he learned, again, two bullets in the gun. The first bullet, the great, by the grace of God, with the first bullet that entered the chamber was faulty, so it did not fire. The second bullet was a good bullet. That was the one that hit the floor when he pulled the trigger. The moment he heard the sound of the gunshot, it woke him up. He realized then, and certainly today, that was the presence of Jesus. Even in that room that would have been his suicide room, he knew Jesus was there, taking control, sparing his life, and as it were, telling him, son, don't ever do this stupid thing again. I have a wonderful plan for your life. Eventually, this man surrendered himself to Christian rehab, and six months later walked out a brand new person a servant of the Lord. Now, perhaps some of you in this room have run away from God. Maybe you've done things you know have thoroughly displeased Him and dishonored Him. And perhaps now you're saying, I'm so far away from God. How could I ever come back after all I've done? Can I share with you the chorus of one of my favorite contemporary Christian songs? I will not sing it, okay? I'll only tell you the chorus. The name of the song, it, this might shock you. The title of the song is Jesus Doesn't Care. You might say, what kind of a song is that? Let me show you. This is the chorus. Jesus doesn't care what you've done before, how you've rebelled or slammed the door. No matter how far you've run, or how long you've been untrue, Jesus doesn't care. He still offers forgiveness to you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus seeks people who need Him. I don't know about you. I need Jesus all the time. What is the next thing He does? When He finds people who need Him, Jesus shows them His amazing love. 
Well, how did that happen in this particular story? So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of the large fish, 153, although there were so many, the net was not torn. Okay? Uh, you know, there are many, many insights that we can gain from this story, but we'll just stick to the subject matter at hand, right? Okay. A charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Maybe we've read this too many times to taste the amazement of this moment. But let me try and put us in the sandals of the disciples. Here you are, you know you've basically abandoned your master. And then he shows up. And then he allows you to catch this humongous catch of fish. And when you get to the shore, he had already prepared breakfast. And if it were me in the place of one of the disciples, I would think, boy, I said I would not betray or deny or abandon him. He knew I would do it. And yet that night he washed my feet. And now here I am after the fact, after all of this denial. And the moment I get to shore, what does my master do? He shows me. He has prepared the meal for me. I mean, how amazing can love be? Tell me. If I were in Jesus' place, knowing my flaws, the moment these guys step on shore, I'll probably tell them, Ah, oh, ano? Ano na kayo ngayon? Ah. That's not what Jesus did. And then he says, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Folks, who let them catch the fish? Did they finally figure out how to catch fish or no? No, it was Jesus who showed them. It was Jesus who gave them that full net. And yet he wants you and me to participate in his amazing kingdom's work on earth. He says, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Folks, I'd like to spend a, a few minutes to talk about the significance of being invited to dine with the king. What does it really mean? What kind of an experience is it when a totally undeserving person is called by the king and says, come and eat with me? It's like nothing you and I probably fully appreciate at any given moment. As a matter of fact, look at what Peter looked back to. In Acts chapter 10, he says, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us. Now, he could have stopped there. He said, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. It was an unforgettable experience. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to pause the John 21 story for a moment, and I want us to rewind many, many decades, centuries ago. This time, 
the life of King David. And I want to take us back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. At this point, this was the very first time that David finally became king over all of Israel. Finally, the Lord's promise had been fully realized in his life. His enemies were dead. Saul and company were all dead. And here in the start of 2 Samuel 9, David says, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? What does that mean? You see, sometime back, David had a BFF, his best friend, Jonathan. And in a very tender moment, before they had parted ways, Jonathan asked David in so many words, when you are king, he says, not if, he said, when you are king, I know you will be king, David, that's God's plan for you. When you become king, be good to my family. And David said, absolutely, I'll do that. And that's why he was saying, I want to show someone kindness for Jonathan's sake from the house of Saul. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Yes, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the what? The kindness of God. You see, David knew that this was grace. Normally, a, a triumphant king would be expected to eliminate all of his enemies, even the family members, so that there would be no chance of retribution in the years to come. And yet David does the exact opposite. He says, I want to show not just any kindness, but the kindness of God. You know why he was so conscious about that? Because he was a recipient of the kindness of God. Just a couple of chapters before this, David knelt before God and he said, Lord, who am I? And what is my family that you have brought us this far? He was overwhelmed by the kindness and the grace of God. It overflowed from his heart. He wanted to pay it forward, as it were, to somebody else. And then Ziba the servant said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodebar. Now notice, this son of Jonathan was crippled in both feet. We'll know a little bit more about that in a while. But basically, two things. One is, he was no threat to David. At the same time, he was of no use to him. And this place called Lodebar, the meaning of Lodebar is no communication, no pasture, it's a barren wasteland. That's the meaning of the name of that place, Lodebar. And folks, it reminds us that before we come into a relationship with the King of Kings, our lives, regardless of the profile or characteristic of that life, our lives are barren, they're wastelands. We may or may not have lots of money, whatever it is, that's not the point. The point is, if we're not in relationship with the King of Kings, our life is wasted. And even after we do come into relationship with Him, but if we go astray and turn our backs on Him somehow for whatever reason, then we estrange ourselves from Him. We may still be in relationship as a child of God, but certainly our fellowship with Him is broken. And it can may come to a point where we ask ourselves, I'm so far away from you, God. How could I have done this to myself? Wait. The King David, then King David sent and brought him, that's the son of Jonathan, the house of Machir and the son of Amiel from Lodebar. His name, what's his name? Mephibosheth. 
Anyone here expecting a baby boy? Are you thinking of names? Okay, my suggestion, name him David. Anyway, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. You know, if, if your name is Mephibosheth and you're answering an exam in school, half of the time you're just writing your name. So, but anyway, seriously, Mephibosheth. The name, the meaning of the name is from the mouth of shame. From the mouth of shame. And when you and I are apart from the King of Kings, not in relationship with Him, or we have strained that relationship by going astray, we are often beset by a sense of shame, unworthiness. Lord, how can I ever come back to you? And yet, it is the king who sends and brings Mephibosheth to himself. Are we together so far? Are we making the connection here? The great unparalleled privilege of dining with the king. Uh, so Mephibosheth falls on his face, prostrated himself, and he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table today. Is that what he said? Only today you will eat at my table. He didn't say that. He said, you will eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? A dead dog is an idiomatic expression. It, you see, during the time of David and Saul, etc., cetera, uh, there were wild dogs. Okay? Wild dogs were pests. But when they were dead, and when you said dead dog, it means it's a, you know, it's a dead animal that's, that's decaying. So there's, it has no use. It's meant to be thrown in the garbage. So Mephibosheth viewed himself that way. I am only like a dead dog. And yet, David said, you shall eat at my table regularly. Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servants, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at, the, at David's table, look at this, as one of the king's sons. Do we now understand what it means to be invited to dine with the king for the rest of our lives? Jesus makes that invitation. In Revelation chapter 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Some people will ask, is this verse for somebody who is already a Christian or somebody who has not yet committed his life to Jesus? My answer, yes. What do you mean yes? It's one or the other. No, it's not. This verse is for either situation. If you haven't come to relationship with Jesus, he's inviting you. Come and eat at my table and be one of my sons. 
If you already are a child of God, but you've strayed from Him, Jesus is saying, come back where you belong. You belong at my table, son. Come on. Stop running away. I'm calling you back. I want you to listen to the story of someone who has managed to escort many, many people into the dining room of the King of Kings. Will you welcome warmly our brother, Arnel, Arnel Bautista? Let's welcome him together. My name is Arnel Bautista. Thank I you. was an only child of a dysfunctional family that was barely making ends meet. Growing up in the squatter area exposed me an environment where stealing, gambling, envy, and fighting about money was rampant. When I was in high school, my mom left for the U.S. to work. I was left with my father who was consumed by gambling and drugs. I would, he would be out of the house all night and came home by day to sleep. I felt so alone having a father and a mother who were not there for me in my teenage years. In high school, I got involved in stealing, fight, and in relationship with different women. I found happiness in expensive clothes, branded shoes, other material things, and more relationship with the opposite sex. After a year in college, I felt that marriage was the answer to my loneliness. I got married to my wife and with no job and no degree. We end up living with my in-laws. I was husband and a father with no hopes and dreams. There were times that we needed to take my eldest son to the hospital with no money to pay the fees. He would borrow money and sell our belongings. Sometimes we would just mix rice, soy sauce, and oil for our food. As our family grew, my wife started working to, to help us with our financial needs. I became her driver and helper at home. I was part of Samahang LLP, Labalines Plancha. But I was consumed, also consumed by my pride, and I would shout out my wife and hurt her physically and emotionally. I would even leave our house for se several days without thinking of my wife and would spend money from our savings. I also felt insecure being at home without work and looked for love outside our marriage. While my wife was out working at night, I was also out during, drinking and having an affair with another woman. In 2013, my wife started to watch CCF videos about family, and I noticed good change in her. I had apprehension about joining CCF, but she encouraged me to join a men's retreat which I did. I when I heard a worship song, I felt a cold rush and be began crying. I realized that I had been missing all my life. By God's grace, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and surrendered my life to Him. God created a new person in me. I started to live a simple life and became more intentional as a husband and a father. My wife and I started to attend GLC and family ministry, which helped us to understand God's design for our marriage. I also joined the traffic team, which taught me to have a humble heart. Presently, my wife and I are discipling our children, and we are, 
a part of the group. We are also leading a group of men and women. God has given us a blessing of discipling. After two years of praying by God's grace, my wife stopped working and God blessed me with a job as an Uber driver. Praise God. That allowed me to provide for my family. In my first day of work, I was excited and focused on earning and bringing home the bacon. But God had a different plans for me. He impressed in my heart to share the gospel to my passenger from one passenger each day. The desire grew deeper and I was sharing the gospel to more and more of my passenger. As I continued sharing the gospel, the more I felt the love of Christ and felt that this was God's plan for me in pursuing success. God spoke to me through this verse, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. All the more that I felt passionate in sharing the gospel, to let others know that faithfulness and goodness of God and how joyful life is with Jesus. I share the gospel each day of each of my passengers. I always play worship song and post encouraging quotes inside my car. I have inspirational book and a Bible for my customer to read, especially during traffic. Praise God. When my passenger gets into the car, it's as if God is telling me, they are now locked in, in your car. That is your job to share the gospel. I would start a conversation by asking, what do you think is your purpose in life? After they answered, I would share that life is not about me. My purpose in life is to know God more and more, serve Him, and follow His design to make disciples. After sharing my testimony, I would always tell them that Jesus is the key to a blessed and joy-filled life, and I will proceed to share the gospel. I experienced so much joy from sharing the gospel instead of asking the Lord to add more trips for me to earn money. I would ask God to give me one more soul to share the gospel to, and give my passenger what I call a blessed ride. When Uber was suspended by the LTFRB, I was not worried about the loss of income because I know that God will provide for our needs. But instead, I was sad about the loss of opportunity to share the gospel. The joy of sharing Jesus is daily is the success that I was searching in for in my life. Talking about Christ to each person allow me to feel how much they are in need of a Savior. There were times that I could end up crying with my customer, especially those that there are sick or hardened by unforgiveness. To this date, I have accomplished more than 2,000 blessed rides and souls to share the kingdom of Jesus with. Praise God. Luke 15, verse 7 says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repent and return to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have strayed away. God taught me that each passenger that I get is God's ultimate mission for me to accomplish. I am still a part of LLP, but I am now a leader, lover, provider, and a servant of the King of Kings, 
all praise, honor, and glory to God. Praise God indeed. These three men are among the men that Arnel is discipling. Now, I'd like to remind all of us, when we have a vision, I'd like to give these men a vision and all of us, when we make disciples, or when God makes disciples through us, we should be looking towards at least four generations. What do I mean? For example, you, Arnel, you are generation one. Now, these men, Raymar, Angelo, and Joel, these are generation two. Now, when you begin to disciple, you, Raymar, you guys are generation one, you should also be looking at four generations, and so on and so forth, until Jesus comes back. Okay, folks, four generations, always think that way. So shall we pray for them? Father, we thank you for Arnel. We thank you for the men you've entrusted to him, the family you've entrusted to him, and the testimony that you have now entrusted to us, that we may be inspired and compelled by your love to be used by you in whatever sphere of influence you've placed us in to share your love with others. Will you protect this man, his family, his testimony, these men and the families they represent? And even now, in advance, we pray for the spiritual generations that will come forth from them. Will you choose and reserve and just raise them up, Lord, for your glory? that until the day we see you, there will be one godly man after another who will vow to serve you and live in devotion to you, O God. So bless your servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, man. Thank you. So our message today, to find your purpose, follow Jesus. Let's look at the last thing in that pattern that uh, Jesus set for us. So Jesus seeks people who need him. He shows them his amazing love, and then he sends them on a mission. <clears throat> so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Now, what did Jesus mean, do you love me more than these? We don't really know. Could it be, do you love me more than these men love me? Or do you love me more than your fishing business? Uh, that's not the point. The point is this. In our life today, is there anything or anyone that we love more than we love Jesus? That is really the question. Is there anything or anyone in our lives today that we love, we cherish, we hold dear more than Jesus. But you know what? The answer of Jesus to Peter, every time Peter would say, yes, Lord, you know I love you, Jesus would say basically the same thing. Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. You see, we are called to be fishers of men, but we're also called to be shepherds of sheep. Third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, basically the same thing, tend my sheep. Some commentators will say there's a significance to the fact that Jesus in the first two questions used the word agape for love. 
And Peter, all the way, all three times, used phileo. Agape, of course, is a love that has no limit, is completely committed and given over. Phileo, on the other hand, is a brotherly love, an affectionate love. And in the third question, it's Jesus who used the same word as Peter. Do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I do. And perhaps that was the reason why Peter was grieved. He felt that he could not measure up to the love of Jesus. Maybe that is so. Or maybe he was grieved also because he had a sudden flashback. He realized that not too long ago, he was also in a place where there was a fire, and he was asked the same question three times. Not do you love me, but do you know this man? And he denied Jesus. Maybe that's what he remembered. I don't really know. The most important thing, folks, is whatever foolish thing you and I have done, whatever has caused there to be a rift between us and God, Jesus is saying, come to me, dine at my table as one of my sons, because I have a job for you to do, and that is to tend my sheep. I will meet you where you are, and then I'll change you to be somebody you never thought you could be. And folks, I want us to hear another story from a young single lady who for a time in her life seemed like she was purposeless, but when she found God's path for her life to tend his sheep, she now lives in the fullness of the grace of Jesus. Diana D., will you please share with us? Let's welcome Diana. At a very young age, my parents separated. My mom went to the U.S. to start anew, while my dad permanently resided in the province and had another family. I was left to the care of my grandparents. Although they gave me everything, I still longed for the love of my mom and dad. I dreaded attending our school's family day celebrations, since I would see parents doting on their daughters. Such longing left a gaping hole in my heart. I had looked to many other things to fill the void. I tried to derive happiness from romantic relationships, but they did not last. I placed my security in my high grades and other achievements, but the recognition was short-lived. I was di diagnosed with depression and became suicidal. I wanted to kill myself several times, but every attempt I made was unsuccessful. In college, I stopped going to Sunday church gatherings and developed a dependency on alcohol. I would drink to my heart's content when things did not go right. I'd also drink to fit in and have fun. At the same time, I kept my grades high, belonged to a prestigious organization, and had many friends. But I was lost. I knew I desperately needed God back then. I sought and found a Bible-based church near my house. For two years, God offered to change my life but I declined because I knew that it would be difficult to be a Christian. I had a feeling that I could not keep up with what would be expected of me. My first small group leader constantly met with me to disciple me, and I gradually grew in my love for Jesus. I discovered that no romantic relationship, wealth, or achievement will be enough to fill the void in my heart. It was only meant for Jesus Christ. I slowly learned to trust Him and accepted His everlasting love for me. After accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, He kept me secure and afloat amidst life's storms. 
Looking back, I realized that if someone took time to intentionally disciple me when I was younger, I could have avoided many mistakes and heartaches in the past. How I wish that someone taught me that God would be more than enough. In one of the worship services last year, a lady who volunteered in the youth ministry narrated her experiences in leading a group of children and the struggles they face. I felt God nudging my heart to volunteer, but I told God, no, I can't. I was too focused on meeting the demands of my career as a lawyer. As I did not even have much time for my family back then, I thought that I could not have time for ministry. My work slowly consumed me, and my life was gradually losing its meaning. I found myself caught up in a routine I badly wanted to escape. The desire for ministry work was still there, but I could not devote much of my time and energy. I fervently prayed to God for wisdom and direction. After receiving confirmation from God, I took a leap of faith and left my job, and by His grace alone, He gave me new opportunities with flexible working hours so I can devote time to my family and ministry. I asked God to lead me to the right ministry, and months later, I saw the call for volunteers for Rescue Kabataan, a new program launched by CCF Elevate, which aims to reach the youth in the campuses. This time, I answered God's call for me to serve Him and share to young people the hope I found in Christ. God entrusted to me 11 grade 9 students who I meet every week. They have shared with me their painful experiences and personal concerns. Some are facing struggles in their family. Some are having difficulty building their self-esteem, while some have been dealing with heartbreak, loss, and grief. It has been a privilege and a blessing to share the love of Jesus to these girls and remind them that our God is like no other. He will sustain, comfort, and heal us, provide for us, and guide us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. His love never fails. I am amazed at those who eagerly come to our meetings and share how they can apply the lesson in their lives. There are so many broken, broken people in this world, most especially among the youth. But all they need is someone who will willingly listen and impart Christ's love and the hope He has given us. I am Diana D, a girl who was once lost and living life without a purpose, but was rescued by Jesus Christ to reflect His light on those left in the dark. To God be all the glory, honor, and praise. Praise God indeed. This is Joanne Yao, a discipler of Diana. And I believe that through Diana's testimony, we are again reminded we may be living with no apparent purpose, but God always has not only a better plan, but the best plan possible. Shall we pray for both of them? Father, we thank you for Diana. We thank you for Joanne. We thank you for their faithfulness in responding to your call to tend your sheep and to shepherd your lambs. And Lord, we think of the ministry that Diana is now involved in, Rescue Kabataan, the amazing, huge open door you have opened before your people to be of relevant help to these young people who, whether they realize it or not, are in such deep need of your love and grace. And Father, we commit these young ladies to you. We pray your hand of protection will always be upon them, your presence will always surround them, and your joy and peace will always fill 
and overflow from their lives. Bless them to be a continued blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, remember this, the challenge, the challenge to share the truth about Jesus to 33 people. I want to echo the challenge that was given to you and to me last Sunday during the anniversary service. Now, here's an opportunity I'd like to present to you, just very briefly. Diana mentioned Rescue Kabatan. How many of you have heard of Rescue Kabatan? Can I see your hands? You've heard of Rescue Kabatan, okay. Not many of you are that familiar, but let me just say, Rescue Kabatan is a ministry uh, that the Lord has entrusted to CCF, which the government has give, to which the government has given its full blessing. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. The government wants this amazing program, which is based on eternal principles from the Word of God, to enter all of the 18,800 schools, private and public high schools and colleges throughout the Philippines. Folks, that is the amazing door God has opened before us. How long this door will remain open, only God knows. But if I were you, I would go downstairs in the ground floor lobby. I would get myself more of these if you don't have enough. And there is a Rescue Kabataan booth right there in the ground floor lobby. Now, you may not have the time to be a discipler in that school. You may just have enough time to go there and share the gospel with a few of the students. Go downstairs to the Rescue Kabataan uh, table and say, what are the schools where I can be of help in? I want to help bring the good news of Jesus, his amazing love to young people in these schools. Okay, folks, so we will see you at the ground floor lobby if God should so move your heart. Meanwhile, let's finish the story. Jesus said to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not want, wish to go. What in the world was Jesus talking about? Well, it's explained. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death, Peter, that is, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. That was the ending words of Jesus to Peter, follow me. Now, we are told that Peter was crucified in about 64 AD. We're also told that because he felt undeserving to die the same way his master died, upon his request, he was crucified upside down. And that, Jesus said, is the way you will glorify me in your death. But folks, you and I are meant to glorify Jesus every day of our lives, not just on the day we die, but until the day we die. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone should come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross every day, and then let him follow me. And then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In Tagalog, wala ka Basta ikaw, Peter, you follow me. 
What does this mean to us? It means you can be a fisherman, a doctor, an Uber driver, or a lawyer. You may have achieved different levels of education or success in life. You may be single or married. You may be a man or woman. You may be young and an adult or a senior citizen. Whatever it is, what is Jesus called to you and me? You follow me. The message today to find your purpose, follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We follow his pattern. What is his pattern? Seek those who need him. Show them his love. Send them on a mission. To do what? For them to seek those who need Jesus. To show them his amazing love and to send them on a mission. Now you might be here this afternoon and you are nowhere in this chart. At least that's what you think. Well, perhaps you are the one being sought out by Jesus today so that you may come to his table and dine with him as his child for the rest of your life. Shall we bow our heads? And if that is you, my friend, regardless of where you may be in this auditorium, if you know for a fact that you are not yet in a relationship with Jesus, I pray you do recognize his voice today and that you come towards him with eagerness, faith, and humility. And you open the door of your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I want to dine with you for the rest of my life. I want to dine in the presence of the king at his table as one of his sons, one of his children. Lord Jesus, say to him, I surrender my life to you. I give you myself without reservation, by faith, knowing that I may not see the future, but you already know what my future is because you are the author of it. So Lord Jesus, I give myself to you. Live your life through me. Forgive my sin. Transform me and lead me in the way you want me to go from this day forward. Father, we thank you for the power and clarity of your word, the amazing power behind your stories in the Bible, the principles by which you will have us live, and above all, the purpose which you will have us fulfill in our lives. Forgive us when we pursue anything less, that we trade even what is good for what is best. So, Lord Jesus, may we live in accordance with your divine purpose for us, that we may experience the fullness of our nets each day that we live. For your glory, pleasure, and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless us, everyone. Connect with CCF through the following websites. Jumpstart your spiritual journey by joining a small group. We are so blessed you were able to join us today. God bless and see you next time.